0: Well, hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to part four of our Jonah series here on the College Age Movement Podcast. Over the last three parts, we've uh, talked about the story of Jonah, and today we're going to be concluding that story. So up to this point, we've been through about three chapters or so, about two and a half chapters, and tonight we're going to look at the end of chapter three. In the beginning of chapter 4. But before we do that, what I would love to do is just touch on one point from last week, and that is this, is that obedience delayed is still obedience. We talked about the fact that Jonah spent so much time in the belly of the whale, and it took that unfortunate circumstance that he was in to actually understand that God had something to teach him, that it wasn't an ideal place to be, but it was an ideal place to grow. And we talked about how the fact that even though it took Jonah a little bit of time to be obedient to God, that doesn't mean that his obedience was discounted, that it didn't count less to God, but that when we are obedient to God, he is overjoyed with that. And uh, that is something that so many of us need to hear. So that's where we wrapped up at the end of part three of this story of Jonah. And tonight in part four, we're going to pick up Jonah chapter three, verses 6 through ten, So this is right after uh, Jonah had preached against the city of Nineveh. He had come and warned them of, the, of their imminent destruction if they did not change their ways and start following God. And so Jonah chapter 3, verses 6, six through 7, uh, or 6 through 10, excuse me, says this. It says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, these last four verses set the stage for the final chapter of the Jonah story. And I want to pull out one point out of this set of verses before we roll into the meat of tonight's message. And that is this, is that God relents. And because of that, we need to be willing to relent too. The word relent is defined as to abandon or mitigate a harsh intention or cruel treatment. And I think that we need to be a group of people who are willing to abandon some harsh intentions in our lives. You see, too often we allow ourselves to make sweeping judgments on people in our lives or even on groups of people who aren't in our lives. We, we tend to make these, these big sweeping judgments that, that cover them and there's like a, fi- a finality about them. But I think it's so important, especially as followers of Jesus, that we understand that there was never a point in someone's life where we completely write them off because there has to be grace present in our relationships with other people because there's always grace present in God's relationship with us. And I think it's important in our lives to, to look at people that we may have pretty much written off, like that no matter what they do, no matter how much they ask for forgiveness, we have, we have completely written them off. We, we have uh, put an end date on that relationship. But Jesus doesn't put an end date on his relationship with us, and I think it's an indicator of how we're supposed to treat other people. And that doesn't mean that we we don't protect ourselves, but I think it's so important that we do not let our feelings take precedence over someone else's eternity. That that our relationship with someone or or the fig- forgiveness that we may be willing to extend towards someone It might just be the glimpse of Jesus that an individual needs. Now, we've talked about in the past how we absolutely are not the saviors of somebody else's lives, that that is Jesus, and our job is to introduce them to Jesus. But in our relationships with people, our willingness to step back into a relationship, or our willingness to have a conversation, or our willingness to, to provide forgiveness where someone is seeking forgiveness, might be just like this the spark that, that pushes them towards a relationship with Jesus. And it might be a small part, but we would rather be a small part of somebody's eternity than a big part of the end of this relationship currently here on the side of heaven. And so we want to always make sure that we are willing to relent in our relationships, that... We would be willing to forgive, we would be willing to ask for forgiveness, and we would be willing to try to mend relationships where where relationships can be mended. And uh, it, it's just it's a, a picture of what Jesus does for us on a regular basis. So, so when we can get out of our humanity, when we can put our own feelings aside and we can push towards eternity and we can say, hey, this thing that happened is unfortunate and we're not going to forget it, and we're not going to uh, leave ourselves open to more pain. But we also want to make sure that we are providing forgiveness anywhere and everywhere that we can, um, because that that is what Jesus does for us, that he has every right to end his relationship with us on a daily basis. We mess up a lot, but he doesn't do that. And so when other people mess up, uh, let's, let's be willing to forgive. And when we mess up, let's be willing to ask for forgiveness. So that's the end of chapter three. And so as we go on to chapter four, this is Jonah's response to God's forgiveness of the city of Nineveh, God's relenting. And we're just gonna look at the first verse in Jonah chapter four first, and it says this. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. So the next point is this, is just, but I would, and go ahead and fill in the blank there, just, but I would, whatever, whatever. If the story ended after chapter 3, we would see God's grace and God's mercy. We would see God's willingness to turn away from anger. But because of our boy Jonah, we see humanity come exploding out of the story, and unfortunately, it allows us to see ourselves all too clearly. Jonah's thought was, give them what's coming to them. Jonah was literally hoping and wishing for the destruction of a city of 100,000 people. He, he wanted them to understand what was coming to them, what they deserved to have. And I think what's incredibly frustrating to me is that is that in this, Jonah's wishing for the destruction over repentance. He's wishing for destruction over their repentance. And even more frustrating than that is that I can completely relate with it. I can absolutely re- relate with it. There are people we see that we disagree with. It could be politically, it could be religiously, it could be morally, or or whatever it may be. And too often do we hope that they get what they deserve instead of getting what they don't. And what they don't deserve is grace, and what we don't deserve is grace. And we want people to get what's coming to them instead of what God wants to grant them, and that is His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and i can just i can think back on my life and even currently in my life and there are groups of people or a specific individual that has harmed me or that i disagree with and i'm like yeah you just you deserve to get some kind of punishment you shouldn't be allowed to to ask for forgiveness and have god just just forgive you in that moment but when we mess up or or if we're doing something morally wrong or the way that we sin is more justifiable justifiable to us but we still know it's sin we want forgiveness and we don't want what's coming to us. We want the thing that we don't deserve, but we don't want God to grant that to the people around us. And so I think that we have to ask ourselves question a question on a regular basis. Do we want people to recognize their sin so that they're afraid of the consequences? Or do we want people to recognize their sin because we want them to truly understand grace? And It seems like an easy answer, but when we look at ourselves and we look at our, our motives and our humanity, I think it might get a little bit muddy. And There are things where we might have to check our heart and say, like, do I want that person to recognize they're living in sin because I want them to understand that they're doing something wrong and that there might be a consequence to it? Or do I really want them to recognize their sin so they ask for forgiveness and experience the incredible grace of Jesus? And that is, is something that I think that we need to ask ourselves regularly, not just once, not just every quarter, but maybe daily, that, that we look at the people in our lives and we understand that there's messiness and there's brokenness and there's specific people that we think about every day that we're, maybe we're praying for, or maybe we're stopping a relationship, or maybe we're entering into a relationship with this idea of trying to help them recognize their sin, whatever it may be, whatever that relationship looks like. Do we want them to be afraid of the Almighty God, or do we want to under, them to understand that the Almighty God is willing to extend forgiveness and grace to them? You see, too often do our own motives get in the way of God's motives. Some situations are harder than others, and we completely understand that. But let us always push for Jesus and His forgiveness to be found, even in the messiest of situations, even in the sin that that seems uh, the worst to us for some reason, whatever it may be. Would we would we pray that God's grace is shown time and time again, and that people would never have to experience any kind of uh, terrible consequence or anything like that, but that they would just see Jesus for what he is. And that is a powerful God, and that is a God who can bring judgment, but more importantly, that's a God who is willing to forgive them and that is willing to have a conversation with them and always let them know that they are never, ever too far gone. And then Jonah chapter four, verses two and three go on to say this. It says, He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. A little bit dramatic, Jonah is. Take away my life, for it is even better for me to die than it is to live. But out of this, I just want to ask a question. And that question is this, is do we truly know whom we serve? Do we truly know whom we serve? Now, Jonah says, I knew that you are gracious. I knew that you were compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were abounding abounding in love. But I wanted calamity. I wanted destruction. And it sounds absurd, but I think that it speaks to a deeper issue that we can even see in our own lives, and it is this, is that we aren't in tune with our creator. So many of us need to bring it back to the basics. So many of us need to rediscover who God is, not who we want him to be. Because we all have the tendency to create a God that best suits us, don't we? We like to create a, job, a God who is okay with our sin but not okay with the sin of others. We like to create a God who is so proud of us but is never disappointed in us. In In whatever circumstance it is, we, we tend to create this God and, and fudge a little bit with, with maybe what our perception is. And, and if God would just fit our perception, we would be really, really happy with that. But I think that God is a lot less concerned with whom we want him to be and he's a lot more concerned about who we need him to be. He's not worried about what we want him to be. He he just he knows who we need him to be and that's who he is. You see Jonah wanted a god that was going to destroy an entire nation, but God knew that an entire nation needed salvation, that an entire nation needed rescue. And so God through and despite Jonah's desire was a God who he knew over a hundred thousand people needed him to be. And I think that we need to look at that and we need to assess our own lives and we need to maybe get back to the basics. And instead of trying to create this this big complicated God and and, and just making this overcomplicated idea of who he is that we would get back to the basics and we would understand that God is gracious and he is compassionate and that he is slow to anger and he's abounding in love. And even when we would hope that maybe he would bring calamity onto a certain situation, that we would understand that always first, his desire would bring forgiveness and salvation in people's realization of who he is. So the next point is this, is that we need to tune in. Now, I'm not going to stand here or sit here and tell you that that there's a a five-step plan to truly know God. But I'll say this astounding, just amazing statement that is just going to blow your mind. Are you ready for it? That relationships aren't a one-way street. I know. I'll give you a second. So being in a, a relationship with God means that you have to be an active participant. We have to be active participants in our relationship with God. So start having some conversations with God. And and I I would always say this, listen more than you talk. We just, we need to listen more than we talk. We tend to be a people who talk when we pray. We, We talk when we communicate with God and we talk and we talk and we talk and when we're done talking, amen. Like that's just how prayer works. And there's something that we have to do in our, in our conversations with God. And we need to leave room on the front end. We need to leave, leave room in the middle. We need to leave room at the end to just listen for what God might have to say. And maybe you will hear the audible voice of God, and maybe you won't. But, but we need to let God speak into our lives and not just speak at God. I think another thing that we need to do is start reading what God has already spoken. Scripture is amazing. Like it, it is a tool that has been gifted to us. And we need to spend time in it. And I would say this is that scripture is a God-ordained prequel to your relationship with God. And he's just waiting for you to help him write the story and the epilogue. Like we need to understand that this, this predates us, this precedes us, and it was given to us so that we can be better at helping God write our story. And we want our story to be a good one. And we want the end of our story to be a good one. So let's use it as a guide for us to write an incredible story walking hand in hand with God. You see, when we understand whom God is, we can better serve his kingdom. And we can avoid looking like a a disconnected wingnut like Jonah seems to be it sometimes. So speaking of Jonah, let's jump in back. Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. It says this. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, there's dramatic Jonah again, and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, even though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can not tell their right hand from their left? So the, the question that I want to end with kind of tonight is a, a couple, it's threefold. So first of all, where where is our concern? See, Jonah gives us so much to think about. Jonah was more concerned with his own comfort than he was with the lives of over 100,000 people. And that seems absolutely atrocious until we start to think about our own lives. Now, I know that there probably isn't a soul listening to this that is actively rooting for the destruction of 100,000 people. But man, are we concerned with our own comfort over the lives of others way too often? Now, that isn't to make you feel guilty. That's just to make you feel thankful about your position and and where you're at in your own comfort. And it's also to urge you to react in thankfulness. Like we need to react to God in thankfulness. We need to see where we're at. We need to be able to look at the good in our lives and where we could be, to, uh, we, where we could be, if if God wasn't a part of our lives. And we just need to be thankful. And because of that, here's here's a few questions. And it's this: Are we concerned about people's actions, or are we concerned about people's eternities? Are we concerned about people's actions, or about their eterni- their eternities? Now, I'm not suggesting that our actions or the actions of others do not matter. But what I am suggesting is that we will see a dramatic difference in the action of others when they know Jesus. Jesus changes us. And if you don't seem different post-Jesus, then maybe you need to take some time to do what we were talking about earlier, to tune in to who he is. Like if you've been following Jesus for 30 years, but you're struggling with the exact same things 30 years that you were when you, when you found Jesus, you need to tune in maybe. You need to to see how submitted you actually are to Jesus. And if we're still grumpy old men or grumpy old women yelling at kids on our lawn when we're in our 50s or 60s, but we've been following Jesus for a long time, then maybe we need to tune back in and get back to the basics. We need to understand that that people's eternities take precedence over the little actions that they take. That if people would submit their lives to Jesus, we trust the Holy Spirit is going to do a work inside of them. And that the things that they struggle with, or the actions that they participate in, would dramatically change because of who Jesus is. Because we're not here for behavior modification. We're not just trying to change what people do. We're trying to change who people are at their core, and that's a follower of Jesus. So just know that if you're listening to this and you don't follow Jesus, know this: that, that that God is not concerned about your behavior modification. He's concerned about your heart and your soul. And he's concerned about your eternity, and he wants you to spend eternity with him. And in that, he is fully confident that if you submit to him, if you surrender your life to him, that those actions that you tend to take will change for better, that those things that you're thinking in your mind will change for better. And because of that, we as people who maybe follow Jesus already need to be more concerned about people's eternities than just about their actions. Another question is this, is are we concerned with God's agenda or our own? It can be both. I promise you it can be both. If we are walking in step with God, they, they should hopefully line up. But what I'm asking is this. If it came down to your ideal outcome or God's I- ideal outcome, whose would you choose? Your ideal outcome versus God's ideal outcome. Which outcome would you choose? We need to understand that God's agenda always trumps our own. Always. That when we know what God would have for our lives, let's lean into that instead of the thing that we would have for ourselves. It's really hard for us to get because our humanity is, is broken and messy and it clouds our judgment. But God's agenda will always lead us to, to a better life and a better outcome than our own. So let's be concerned about God's agenda and put ours on the back burner. And then the third question is this, do you fully understand that God's love doesn't have restrictions? Do you fully understand that God's love doesn't have any restrictions? And maybe you need to hear that because you think that his love for you doesn't reach others living different lifestyles. And it's a challenge for you to not put a restriction on his love. And you need to be called out on that. Because God's love absolutely does not have restrictions. Or maybe, maybe you need to hear that because you think that God loves everyone else who does everything else more than he loves you because of some sin issue that you have or some decision that you've made. And I just want to make it so clear that God's love does not have restrictions for you either. Wherever you find yourself, whether you find yourself on the side of, there's restrictions on God's love for the other people around me, or you feel like God's there's a restriction on God's love towards you and not on the people around you, just know that, that God does not see you differently than he sees everybody else on earth, that every single person on this earth is loved and valued by our creator. And his love does not have restrictions. So let's not create restrictions for others or for ourselves. Let's always understand that God's love does not have any restrictions. And I just want to end with this statement. The more you and I seek to know God, the clearer we can communicate his message. And when the message of Jesus is communicated in complete clarity, there isn't a soul on earth that wouldn't embrace that love. We sure love you guys. Thank you so much for joining into part four of our Jonah series. We will catch you very, very soon.